On April 11, 1959, 40-year-old George King settled into an extremely deep meditative trance. But while his body was in the headquarters of his London-based Aetherius Society, his spirit traveled in the astral realm to a holy mountain called Carned Llewellyn in Wales. There, King was locked in a psychic battle. By channeling his spiritual energy, King claimed he manifested love and directed it toward his target like a bullet from a gun. But it took a lot out of him. With each blast, he felt intense agony. His foe was a black magician who, according to King, was personally responsible for orchestrating the murder of the extraterrestrial known as Master Jesus Christ. King fought this murderer with all of his psychic energy. But as the battle dragged on, King suffered more and more pain. Eventually, he couldn't defend himself anymore. With his last ounce of psychic energy, King fired a blast that connected with the black magician, killing him instantly. But King perished in the process. Even though the fight happened in the spiritual realm, King claimed he physically died. But the alien master Aetherius intervened and gave King the choice to leave then for another spiritual plane or return to Earth alive. King chose to live, to continue his missions to save Earth and humanity. Master Aetherius restored King's life on the etheric realm, and King returned to his physical body back in London. And when he told his enraptured followers about vanquishing Jesus' murderer, King quipped, if that's not worth a clap, nothing in the world is. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we met George King and the occult religious group he established, the Aetherius Society. We left off as King received a spiritual message instructing him to take his teachings across the sea to America. Today, we'll hear how King and his followers fared in the New World and find out what remains of the Aetherius Society. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. 
Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. On April 21st, 1959, less than two weeks after his deadly fight, 40-year-old George King held court with his London-based Ethereum Society. It was one of the last full meetings with his small group of dozens of followers before departing for America. He sat in front of his followers in a deep meditative state. He slowly began to speak, but his voice was pitched lower than normal. Then a mystical space being known as Ascended Master Saint Gu Ling addressed the room. Gu Ling, speaking through King, revealed to the Ethereum Society that their leader was one of the few capable of such a gigantic task of saving mankind. And then the voice of Jesus came in to confirm this idea. Master Jesus said that King wasn't only a conduit for other ascended masters, he was one of them. King was actually from Mars. Apparently, King made an agreement a hundred years before to come to Earth to aid mankind. The cosmic entity's incarnation into the body of George King was its first existence as a human. To anyone looking in, this seems like a strange adjustment to King's mythology. It's possible that he made this revelation to keep his UK followers devoted to him while he was in America. In this version of his myth, King, a cosmic avatar, had sacrificed his life to save mankind and their unenlightened ways. He arrived on Earth just as humans were mastering nuclear technology, which was worrisome to the other gods from outer space. They had seen previous Earth societies destroy themselves with atomic energy. It was King's duty to save humanity from nuclear cataclysm. Vanessa is going to take over in the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. Ever since King received the command from Master Aetherius while washing dishes years before, he kept hearing voices. King experienced them as communiques from aliens who were transmitting messages through him. But to non-believers, it'd be natural to wonder if he was simply experiencing symptoms of psychosis. Brain researchers from the Yale School of Medicine wrote about this in an article called Varieties of Voice Hearing, Psychics and the Psychosis Continuum, in order to further research about schizophrenics who experience auditory hallucinations, psychiatrists Albert Powers, Megan Kelly, and Philip Corlett studied self-professed psychics who claimed to hear voices and channel messages from the dead. Researchers determined that their subjects genuinely experienced hearing voices, but unlike psychiatric patients, saw them as benign gifts and felt able to control them. Rather than seeking treatment for possible schizophrenia, the psychics referred to the voices as their spirit guides. Surprisingly, the ability to hear unseen voices is not always a symptom of schizophrenia, as around 8% of people have reported experiencing auditory hallucinations. Like the psychics in this study, King interpreted the transmissions from Master Aetherius, Saint Gu Ling, and other cosmic masters as positive and meaningful, rather than symptoms of disease. And after the most recent message confirmed King's mission to save humanity, it made him even more proactive about spreading these messages. 
Less than a month later, on May 21, 1959, King was a guest on a BBC television show called Lifeline. The episode was called Mars and Venus Speak to Earth, and it was hosted by a psychiatrist. To the host's credit, he treated King with respect and seriousness as he interviewed him. And King presented himself well, looking handsome and distinguished. He wore a suit and tie, and with his hair slicked back in the fashion of the time, he resembled any normal businessman or government employee. But when he began talking, the audience knew they were in for something different. King told the host that he received transmissions from what he called the space people, who referred to him as mental channel number one. He claimed he was the conduit for more messages from space than any other human being on the planet. The host then challenged King to achieve a trance state and attempt to share a message from Master Aetherius on live television. King agreed, but warned that the conditions in the TV studio made it dangerous for him. But he felt the risk was worth spreading his message to a large audience. King placed very dark goggles over his eyes, then rocked forward a bit tugged both his nostrils and sat in silence. His lips parted, his mouth opened, and his head started tipping backward. He let out a couple of gasps and then began speaking. His voice was different from before, sharper, more clipped, and it carried an accent that was different from King's. The voice intoned, Good evening, my dear friends. He introduced himself as Aetherius from the planet Venus. The host asked cheekily, when he traveled around space, did he use a flying saucer? The alien stated that he did. As if that weren't shocking enough to BBC viewers at home, King, as Master Aetherius, continued with the shocking claim that Venusians had been visiting Earth for 18 million years. Then, Master Aetherius shared the important message that Earth was in danger. The current experiments humans were performing with atomic energy could upset the balance of the planet. He also admonished mankind, saying that humans were at risk because they were deviating from spiritual laws. He said, If you are a Christian, then live the laws as laid down by Jesus. If you are a Buddhist, live the laws as laid down by Buddha. If you are a Hindu, then be the best Hindu. This procedure is the one true way for men of Earth to save themselves from their lower aspects. The host replied, Thank you, Aetherius, very much indeed. Good night. The Venusians said good night and removed the glasses, which seemed to signal the return of King. Before signing off, the camera remained fixed on King, who sat with a slightly bemused smile on his face, blinking rapidly. While the publicity and reach of the television appearance was great for spreading King's warnings, it also put him on the radar of the police. They started investigating him as a possible communist collaborator. The police had undercover agents follow King. According to declassified documents from that time, they reported back, he has a brisk, business-like air and wears a blazer ostentatiously bearing the emblem of the Aetherius Society in gold thread. Despite their suspicions, the authorities were never able to find any evidence of wrongdoing or collaboration with Soviet communists. They eventually lost interest. He was soon out of their hair anyway, as 40-year-old King boarded a freighter ship for America on June 6, 1959. The London Society headquarters remained active, but King was finally carrying out the next phase of his mission as instructed by a Martian years before. 
In the U.S., he'd continue Operation Starlight by climbing mountains and charging them with spiritual power that could be accessed later and sent out into the world. And after 10 long days at sea, King's ship docked in New York. From there, King traveled across the country, making appearances along the way. He delivered lectures in Philadelphia, Kansas City, Chicago, and other cities. Eventually, King landed in Southern California. He wasn't resting yet, though. On July 11, 1959, barely a month after leaving England, King appeared at a convention in the Statler Hilton Hotel in Los Angeles. The convention was put on by the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America and drew many fans of alternative realities and the unexplained. King was about to meet someone who would change his life. Next, we'll hear more about Operation Starlight and King's other urgent missions to save Earth and all of humanity. Listeners, I am thrilled to tell you that this month marks a huge milestone for ParCast. It's the four-year anniversary of another fantastic podcast I host called Serial Killers. If you haven't had a chance to dive into the stories and psychology behind the most nightmarish murderers of all time, there's no better time than right now to start listening. Each week, we enter the minds, the methods, and the madness of the world's most sadistic serial killers. From the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, and the co-ed killer Edmund Kemper, to Eileen Wardos, Ed Gein, and coming soon, the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez. And this February, look out for our four-part special on couples who kill, following the worst love has to offer. Their names may sound ordinary, but their atrocities are anything but. Trust me, you do not want to miss it. With hundreds of episodes available to binge and new ones released weekly, get to know the killers, crimes, and cases that forever changed the face of history. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. New episodes air every Monday and Thursday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In 1959, 40-year-old George King, founder of the Etheria Society, finally emigrated to America. After deciding he wanted to settle in Southern California, he appeared at a Los Angeles UFO convention on July 11th. It had taken all of King's meager funds to travel across the ocean to America and then across the country. By the time he'd arrived at the UFO convention, he didn't even know where he was going to stay that night. He'd made it to the event, but was practically penniless and had no prospects. But King was charismatic and handsome. He was tall and very fit, thanks to his yoga practice and mountain climbing. He was well-dressed and always wore a tie. He was a little reminiscent of Sean Connery and came across as a sort of man's man. But King didn't present himself in an elevated manner. He was always down to earth and straightforward and never acted as if he were better than anyone else. His humility is what drew people to him. 
And at the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Convention, a pair of 29-year-old twin sisters, Irene and Monique Nopa, were most definitely drawn to him, Monique in particular. As soon as Monique laid her eyes on King, she was overwhelmed. She knew he was special. According to the biography about King by Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep, when Monique stepped forward to introduce herself, their eyes met. King gazed at her and said simply, Ah, you've come. Monique's sister, Irene, was also struck by the intensity of King's eyes. She said that when he looked at her, he gave her a cosmic feeling. She was captivated by his expression. Irene explained, It was a love you can't find on this earth. The Nope twins were women of means and were both so taken with him that they immediately offered to help him financially. King was a practical man, so he gratefully accepted and took the opportunity that the universe and the Nope twins had provided for him. It was less than a month later, on August 9, 1959, that King added the first U.S. summit to his Operation Starlight mission. He and some new followers, including Monique and Irene, climbed Mount Baldy in San Bernardino and infused it with spiritual energy. Over the next year, King continued climbing peaks for Operation Starlight and transmitting lectures to his close California followers. But then, in February and March of 1961, King was gifted with new, critical messages. But this time, they didn't come from Master Aetherius. Instead, King channeled a Martian named Mars Sector 6. The entity delivered nine steps to achieve what they called cosmic existence. The Martian claimed that once someone studied and achieved all nine steps, which included virtues like bravery, love, and service, they would be enlightened and experience true freedom. King later transcribed the nine steps into a text known as the Nine Freedoms, which he gave to his followers. While we don't know the exact date, it was around this time that King claimed to have achieved this metaphysical enlightenment himself. King described what he experienced, writing about himself in the third person. He became vitally aware of the dimensions in which he existed. He became as tiny as a molecule when he wanted to, and yet bigger than a world when he wished. He looked down from his lofty position high above the earth, appreciating its great glory, its power, its supreme light, perceiving the limitations it had put upon itself in order to allow life streams like him to gain the experience which he was now living through in almost godlike ecstasy. Importantly, King emphasized that the larger accomplishment was not achieving the state forever, but being able to detach himself from it. He said that it wouldn't be right to leave the rest of humanity when they needed his assistance. According to psychiatrist Stanislav Grof and psychotherapist Christina Grof, traditional psychiatry doesn't account for mystical experiences. In an essay from 1986, they argue that the field automatically discounts things like altered states and hearing voices as symptoms of pathology, thereby discounting anything positive. The Grofs wrote, there exists increasing evidence that many individuals experiencing episodes of non-ordinary states of consciousness, accompanied by various emotional, perceptual, and psychosomatic manifestations, are undergoing an evolutionary crisis rather than suffering from a mental disease. Such anomalous experiences can be brought about by spiritual practices like yoga, prayer, and meditation, sudden traumatic events, or psychedelic drugs. 
The Groffs suggest withholding psychiatric care in instances which they term spiritual emergencies or transpersonal crises. These episodes can be identified by their absence of physical disease and emphasis on a change in consciousness. According to the Groffs, this can be due to past incarnation memories, out-of-body experiences, incidents of synchronicities or extrasensory perception, and identification with cosmic consciousness. The Groffs believe that letting someone work through a spiritual emergency without traditional mental health intervention could lead some patients to a positive outcome. And a lot of what King claimed to experience, including channeling alien entities, astral traveling, and achieving enlightenment, falls under the Groff's category of spiritual emergency. After this latest metaphysical event of achieving the nine freedoms, King decided to make his permanent home in California. With the help of the Nopa twins, he and a small group of followers moved into a property on Hobart Boulevard in Los Angeles. This building became the American headquarters for the Etheria Society. But even with this permanent California base, it wasn't like King to stay put for long. Operation Starlight was still his priority, and in the summer of 1961, he received another message from Saint Gu Ling. This time, Gu Ling said there was one final mountain to climb and charge, Leni Degla in the French Alps. Without hesitation, King set out for France with a few other close acolytes. And on August 23, 1961, he brought Operation Starlight to a close after working for nearly a decade. Now, all King had to do was wait for another important message about his next mission. But he waited in vain. For over a year, he'd received more messages, but none of them included any details about an assignment. It wasn't until March 16, 1963, that 44-year-old King was given another mission by Master Aetherius. This one he called Operation Blue Water. The Venusian instructed King to build what he called a radionics apparatus to bring balance to the planet Earth. In the words of King's biographers Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep, the device was designed to send energy directly into a psychic center of the Mother Earth, which had been bled by humanity. King believed that this healing action could prevent catastrophes, such as tidal waves and earthquakes. So King set to work. When he had the device in hand, King was ready to start Operation Blue Water. On July 11, 1963, King set out in a boat with his closest followers. While steering the vessel, King maintained a mild trance state. After over an hour, he stopped at a specific point off the coast of California, which Master Aetherius claimed was directly over the psychic center of the Earth. King then turned on the radionics apparatus and aimed the psychic energy into the sea. To any boats passing by, it may have looked like nothing was happening, but King received word from Master Aetherius, Operation Blue Water was successful, and conditions would soon be right for King's most important mission yet. Despite having followed all of his master's instructions until this point, King wasn't assigned that crucial mission until about a year later. On July 8, 1964, Master Aetherius told King about the primary initiation of Earth. Master Aetherius revealed that Earth was a living goddess, and each year on this day, gods from space sent her high-frequency energy. 
These energies made Mother Earth so strong that if she were to allow herself to revel in them, humans wouldn't survive on the planet. So Earth reigned in her strength to protect humanity and give us the chance to evolve. But Master Aetherius warned that one day, the goddess Earth might get fed up with humanity's destructive ways and release all of her power. Only the most advanced souls like high-ranking members of the Aetherius Society would survive. King's flock took Master Aetherius's words to heart and worked to protect the Earth with their psychic powers. After this transmission, July 8th became the most important date on the Aetherian calendar, marked with annual rites to send energy back into the Earth and restore the karmic balance. To stave off the end of the world, King's followers continued to gather at the Los Angeles headquarters and meditate with their leader, eagerly waiting for his next word. And throughout the years, King received many more missions from Master Aetherius and other beings. It seems that King's followers were fully on board with the commands that came from King, no matter how improbable. Some of the missions that King transmitted could have been plots of science fiction films. In one, King was tasked to fight an alien android that had been placed in hell millions of years ago by an evil species from beyond our galaxy. Another saw King climbing more mountains with what looked like a high-tech battery to release healing waves into the planet. During breaks from his missions, King didn't give himself too much time off. He wanted his message to reach potential new acolytes. It was well into the mid-1960s by this point, and the West was changing dramatically. There was a sense of freedom and experimentation across culture, in everything from clothing to spirituality. Young people became more open-minded and curious about topics such as reincarnation, yoga, and UFOs. These changes brought the Aetherius Society more young adherents. With King aging and his followers getting younger, the dynamic changed from like-minded scholarly peers to eager young disciples of a great, elevated leader. But even then, it seems that King refused to take financial advantage of his followers. They could donate what they wanted, but we have no evidence that he ever pressured them. Though King had less in common with his younger fans, he welcomed the Seekers and knew they were the future of the Aetherius Society. But King couldn't rest on his laurels just yet. There was another dire event on the horizon. On October 26, 1967, 48-year-old King received a transmission from the extraterrestrial cosmic master, Jesus Christ. Jesus shared a disturbing message. The evil entity that some faiths called Satan was about to gain control of all of the earthly realms. The dark forces had plotted this takeover for centuries, and now the plan was in motion. The armies of hell had been stocked with many wicked souls. King said these included the spirits of deranged torturers, brutal warlords, and Nazis. King claimed Jesus said, not one single murderous dictator has been put into a position by chance. Conqueror after conqueror has been built by the Dark Ones to act as a recruiting agent upon the physical plane of your world. These have brought around them a like wickedness and have taken this back to the lower realms with them and have built the armies of evil there. King and two adepts were needed to stand up to the creatures of the lower realms and fight for the earth and time was running out. Jesus told King that Armageddon had already begun.
Next, we'll hear about King's fight against evil and what remains of the Aetherius Society today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Now, back to the story. On October 26, 1967, 48-year-old George King received a transmission from the alien master Jesus Christ. Christ claimed that two other adepts and King himself were needed to stop Satan from conquering Earth. This mission, called Operation Karma Light, took place on the astral plane. All told, this challenging and painful effort would take 24 separate battles to accomplish. King fought Satan and the armies of the lower realms by using his spiritual power for almost a year and a half. Battle after grueling battle, King went into a trance and sent his love and light energy to conquer the evil force. King said it was the most terrible and frightening duty he had ever undertaken. But when victory was finally achieved on February 24, 1969, King knew it had been worth it as Earth was saved. Fighting Satan in hell was obviously very intense and tiring, and King had to make time for self-care. He was known for being very well-balanced and able to indulge apparently in contradictory impulses. He was a celibate yogi guru, but he also enjoyed the company of women, and despite being an elevated spiritual entity, he enjoyed a simple drink and a smoke after dinner. One way he relaxed and let loose was by playing percussion in a musical group called the Supersonics while enjoying an evening cocktail. King had an astounding ability to compartmentalize, existing as a highly evolved Martian fighting Satan in hell one day and playing maracas in his band the other. Compartmentalization has long been recognized in people who have radical or extraordinary existences, such as hitmen, soldiers, and even doctors. Criminologists James Allen Fox and Jack Levin summarized this concept in Normalcy and Behavioral Characteristics of the Sadistic Serial Killer. To be clear, King wasn't a serial killer, but their description of compartmentalization is apt. They explained that there's an ability to construct two distinct selves, one for dealing with the extreme elements of life and the other for interacting normally with family and friends. King lived a heightened existence by believing he took part in spiritual warfare. In order for King to function in the day-to-day, -day, he had to be able to close that aspect off and take part in mundane life once in a while. And King was about to take part in a truly normal experience, his wedding. On January 30, 1971, 52-year-old King and Monique Nopa exchanged vows in the Church of the Los Angeles Aetherius Society headquarters. They appeared very traditional, with King in a suit with tails and Monique wearing a long white dress with a veil. But their union would be a pure and celibate one, described as a spiritually powerful friendship. Married life agreed with King, and he enjoyed good meals cooked by Monique, with a nightcap after. The couple shared their life with pet fish, dogs, and even a monkey. 
After difficult transmissions, Monique helped King recover. He retired to their room where she administered restorative healing and massage. One time, Master Etherius even gave her a shout-out, saying through King, To the early hours of this morning, this girl worked very hard healing, comforting, and attending your leader in the most professional and helpworthy manner. Master Etherius also continued to send King missions. On January 23, 1972, when King was 53 years old, Operation Prayer Power was launched. It involved teams of Etherius Society members praying together to raise spiritual energy to store in a crystalline battery built by King. The mission was performed over and over at various holy locations. One action took place on Lake Powell in Utah on September 23, 1973. Two boats filled with over 60 members of the Aetherius Society piloted through the canyons of Lake Powell. They assembled in what was called a power formation, surrounded by buttes and other rock formations. While King performed a series of sacred hand gestures, everyone chanted, their voices rising in the natural amphitheater provided by the topography. A small team of high-level members stood near the battery and directed the love, energy, and prayer of them all into the device. The power would be stored for later use. Operation Prayer Power continued throughout the 1970s, while dozens of new, young recruits joined the mission. But as the age gap increasingly widened between King and his sect, his demeanor toward them changed. He barked orders at them and scolded them when they fell short of his expectations. His biographers, Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep, described him as an impatient general surrounded by ill-equipped subordinates while mounting a life-saving military campaign. But King wasn't going to let their mistakes get in the way of his crucial work. On December 5, 1978, while in a deep meditation, 59-year-old King astral traveled to the mystical city of Shambhala. In Shambhala, he met the Buddha who bestowed upon King the title Grand Knight Templar of the Inner Sanctum of the Holy Order of the Spiritual Hierarchy of Earth. From then on, King took on more titles and more elaborate dress. He wore extravagant robes and a mitre. He claimed the rights of an archbishop and bestowed priestly titles on his most ardent followers. A few years later, a man named Prince Henry III de Vigo Paleologo who claimed to be a Byzantine royal descendant, crowned king as a prince. After the ceremony on September 26, 1981, King was known as Prince de Santorini. It's worth noting, however, that later sources say Prince Henry was accused of being a fraud and offering fake titles of nobility to celebrities. Still, the honors kept piling up. When King was 70 years old, Master Etherius transmitted news that King had been chosen to be a full member and advisor to the Interplanetary Confederation, which was the governing body for the whole solar system. The prefects of Saturn, the inner circle of the Cosmic Advisory Council, told King, when you do leave the planet Terra, your eminence, we invite you to attend us for a high cosmic initiation. And in the summer of 1992, 73-year-old King almost left the planet for good. While recovering in the hospital from yet another surgery, this time an abdominal aorta resection, he took a turn for the worse. His wife Monique and some other high-ranking disciples were at his bedside in the ICU when his skin turned gray. Their leader's heart had stopped, 
but losing him was not an option. Not only was he their loved one and their archbishop, he was integral to keeping the world safe. King's surgeon and his team frantically attempted to revive him, while Monique and the others sobbed and panicked. One of King's followers had the presence of mind to phone headquarters and tell them what was happening and beg for help. The Aetherius Society sprung into action. They fired up a spiritual energy radiator, one of their love batteries. They prayed and transmitted healing energy to King. According to them, shortly after, King was revived. But after this terrifying experience, his close circle couldn't help but think about the fact that King was advancing in age and his health was declining. Since he was the only one capable of channeling transmissions, they wondered what would happen to the society without him. On June 18, 1997, when King was 78 years old, he performed his last official act for the Aetherius Society. He put his shaky signature on a letter from seven high-ranking officers and bishops. He was basically giving them permission to continue the work of charging spiritual batteries and discharging the energy into the earth after his demise. Only a few weeks later, on July 12, 1997, King passed away peacefully at his home after suffering from cancer. But his acolytes kept up the fight. Today, the Aetherius Society claims a few hundred members and is still headquartered in London and Los Angeles, with other branches throughout the world. Practitioners still gather around a spiritual battery, reciting prayers and mantras. Their focus might be on current political or environmental stressors, with prayer directed for positive outcomes. In King's absence, the society believes that another cosmic master will eventually visit Earth to usher in a time of change. But they think George King prevented this shift from being an apocalypse. Without George King's interventions, they think many would have suffered and died. King's biographers Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep write that King has bought time for billions of souls throughout the realms of Earth, possibly for hundreds of years. Current society members believe that participating in the Operation Prayer Power mission protects the Earth and humanity from pain and destruction. They also take credit for shifting the path of hurricanes and aiding in international peace talks. Despite their offbeat beliefs, the Aetherius Society seems to be sincerely concerned with the well-being of the planet and humanity. King and his legacy have only really been about saving the planet and improving lives. We'll leave you with a final message from Master Aetherius, transmitted through George King. Even if you do not believe in God, then believe in good. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on George King and the Aetherius Society, amongst the many sources we used, we found The King Who Came to Earth, a biography by Richard Lawrence and Brian Kniep, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Cults was written by Christine Colby, with writing assistance by Tyler Walker, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brian Petrus. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 
Listeners, don't forget to check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Every Monday and Thursday, take a deep dive into the minds and madness of history's most notorious murderers. You can binge hundreds of episodes, four years worth, and catch new episodes weekly. Listen to Serial Killers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.